Thank you very much. Thank you. We are delighted to be here. It's always great to be in New England and especially great to be in Seekonk. We have so many good uh, memories of previous times here. We're just admiring all the, the new developments. And I was remembering back when you had the mauve. Uh, how many of you remember the mauve? And uh, you've come a long way, baby. So uh, excited. We're going to be talking today. Uh, the topic is called Kingdom Works. And we're going to be talking about kind of everything under the big umbrella of the idea of work and works. Everything from, you know, working for God in the church, serving God outside of the church. And we're also going to be talking about what people would call secular work and our life in the workplace, people's everyday work. And just a kind of a big umbrella topic, but I think at the end of the day, you're going to walk away with uh, some fresh insights and perspectives about how important what you do is in this earth and what it is that we accomplish in serving others in every sphere of life, whether it's volunteering in church or, you know, just what we do on our workplace. It's all opportunities to serve and glorify God. And how many of you know that a lot of people in the world don't have a very positive attitude about work? I um, this, this last book that I wrote is called The Workbook, What We Do Matters to God. And it's not a workbook, it's just called The Workbook. It's about work. And um, all the time, you know, people would ask me, you know, what's your new book coming out? And and uh, what's your next book going to be about? And, and I would tell people, my next book is about work. And, I mean, you wouldn't believe the reactions I got. Like, they'd turn up their nose and, why, why would you write about that? And, and, uh, but how many of you know in the world, they don't have a real positive attitude about work? And I remember a, a song growing up when I was a, I don't know when I was hurt, but, you know, take this job and, you know, yeah, that. And, and I mean, people don't have a very good attitude about work. And I, um, I did, I, 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 I'm not a music guy very much, so I, one time I just put on social media, I said, I'm, I'm writing on the topic of work, and what are some songs that have to do with work, employment, jobs, etc.? And, and people, there were hundreds of responses of people telling me about songs, and, and, and they were all negative. And, and, and most of them were country songs. Um, if you're a country music fan, I, you know, that's fine with me. But, you know, just everybody belly aching about how much they hate their work and how much they hate their boss. And, you know, uh, it, it was really something. I, I finally said, Is there in, are there any positive songs about work? And um, I did get a couple, and they were both uh, from a Disney thing. Uh, the seven dwarves. Yeah, whistle while you work and um, hi ho, hi ho, it's off to work we go. And um, if you don't listen to Disney, um, you're not going to, and, and you only listen to country music, you're going to hate your job. And um, I have a good friend that says, you know, even if you hate your job, do it like you love Jesus. So um, I, I believe that our faith and our uh, commitment to the Word of God can cause us to see work different, both the way we work in the secular workplace and the way we work for God. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of things in the Word of God that are going to help us today. But let's go ahead and pray and thank God for a great day. Father, I want to thank you for every person here. 
Thank you for what they do in life. Thank you for uh, not just the work they do to make society better and life better for others, but thank you, Lord, that we get the privilege to work on having better marriages. We get to work on having better families. Um, we just we get to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Thank you, Lord. We don't work for it, but we get to work it out. We get to process it and just be engaged in life and and just it's a joy to have a relationship with you and lord today we want to take our minds and place them before you if we have attitudes about work about serving about uh, functioning that is less than glorifying to you then father we ask that the holy spirit would teach us today uh, how to have a right attitude about work and father thank you that through what we learn today, we're going to serve you better. We're going to glorify you more. We're going to serve one another more effectively. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I want, uh, we have handouts. Um, do we have some good ushers here that can help us with handouts? I forgot about that. Uh, we have one stack right here, one stack right here. These are fill-in-the-blank outlines. And the reason I do fill-in-the-blank outlines is just to help you track and trace what we're teaching a little bit better. Um, if here, Here's one thing I want you to understand, because in, in any size group, there are some people that if you give them a handout with blanks to fill in, they get nervous. And they think, what if I miss a blank? Well, you can't go to heaven if you don't get all the blanks filled in. No, that's not true. Um, I will, here's what I will do. I will send to maybe the church office um, a handout that has the blanks filled in. So if you miss one or two, you can, you, you can get that copy or something of that nature. But um, I hope this will help you follow what we teach just a little bit more closely. And when you walk away from here... Um, you're welcome to take your own individual notes, of course, but this may help you capture and walk away with some of the major themes and have something to kind of go back to and reference as you study this a little bit more. So we have some hands up. So if you need, if you haven't got one and one is not coming down your way, I see several hands over in this third section. We have a few hands in the very back. You say, what's the significance of work? See, people are working right now to get you handouts. So you see how important work is. And there's also pens being handed out. So if you didn't get a pen, it's a great book of the Bible. Because it's a book about restoration. Israel had gone into captivity. They were at one of the lowest, darkest moments of their existence. And the invading army that conquered them, the, the armies of Babylon, uh, which is in modern-day Iraq, had gone ahead and just destroyed the city. Because they were going to take all the people as captives and make them slaves and everything back in Babylon. And so they wanted to remove the incentive for the Israelites to go back home. And uh, so they just went ahead and leveled the city. 
And after 70 years, uh, it was time for them to come back home. And, uh, but, you know, their home city, Jerusalem, was devastated. And, and uh, God raised up a young man named Nehemiah and gave him a vision to rebuild the city walls. Because back then, you had to have walls to your city to, you know, keep yourself safe and all. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, which I think is the first verse on your handout, I read this. And it said, it was talking about the rebuilding process. And it says, so we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half of its height. In other words, they're halfway finished. This is a, it's a mid-project report. It's a halftime report on how the wall is coming along. They're, they're halfway done. And, and they actually did this in 26 days, which was really just a miraculous time frame to just in 26 days to have the wall halfway built. And it, it gives a reason for the remarkable progress that took place. And the Bible says, for the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. There was something in the people that they were eager to get the job done. They were energized. They were motivated. They were pumped. Uh, they, they saw the value in what they do, so they worked diligently, they worked hard, they worked with all their might. And as I read this passage, they completed the wall up to half of its height, for the people had a mind to work. It was as though I heard the Spirit of God on the inside of me ask a question, taking this historical event into kind of a modern-day perspective, and it was as though I heard the Spirit of God say, what about today? What about God's people today? Do God's people have a mind to work? And I was arrested by that. I, I was uh, kind of shocked by that question. And Lisa and I, we've been traveling full-time for the last 14 years now. We just had our 14th anniversary in full-time traveling ministry. We were in in pastoral and Bible school ministry for 22 years before that. But in the last 14 years, uh, we've been privileged. We're on the road usually more than 200 days a year. Uh, we've been in 26 countries and 46 states preaching and working in churches, working with church staffs, working with volunteer teams. And so we've been really blessed to see hundreds and hundreds of churches and, um, you know, I've never had a pastor in, in 26 years or 36 years of ministry, 14 years of traveling, say, Tony, we just have a big problem. We have so many people that are so eager to work and so eager to volunteer. We just don't, we can't accommodate all the people that are wanting to serve. I've never had, you know, that, that question. And, and now I will say this, in every church we're in, the pastor will always talk about what a great core of volunteers they have and what a great team they have. But usually it's not the majority of the congregation. Usually it is a, you know, a, a smaller, you know, percentage. You know, a, a few people do kind of most of the work and things of that nature. And I just happen to believe that God wants every one of us working for Him, having a mindset that we are here in this earth to serve God. And so when I heard that question on the inside of me, what about today? What about believers in the church today? Do people today have a mind to work? 
Because that's what brought the great results in, in Nehemiah's day. And I had to, you know, I pondered that for a second and then I kind of just mentally, uh, you know, responded and I said, well, Lord, you know, uh, today a lot of people have a mind to receive. A lot of people have a mind to be blessed. A lot of people have a mind to be encouraged. Uh, but Lord, I, I don't know that that many people are all that eager. I'm not sure that that many people are just pumped up and fired up about working for you and serving you and things of that nature. You know, we like, and I'm just as human as anybody else, so I'm not preaching down at anybody. Uh, I like messages on grace and victory and prosperity and peace and things like that, things that I can receive that will, you know, help me be a more happy Christian and things like that. But um, it, it, this whole question, what about believers today? In Nehemiah's day, they had a mind to work. But what about today? And it launched me into an entire study of what does the Bible say from Genesis to Revelation about the topic of work. And um, I came across another verse, Exodus chapter 18, verse 20, about Moses' leadership. And I was thinking about the way that, uh, you know, uh, we love to preach and people love to hear about blessing and prosperity and joy and, and all that. Uh, but Moses had an assignment. It says in Exodus eighteen twenty, God told Moses, and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moses, in his teaching assignment, had two aspects, uh, two dimensions of what it was that he was to teach the people of Israel. He was to teach them first the way that they were to walk. And how many of you know that when you come to church... Uh, the pastor is probably going to teach us some about how we're supposed to live in life, the way we are to walk, that we're to walk in love with one another, we're to walk in forgiveness toward one another, uh, the way we walk. But secondly, the, the spiritual leadership is responsible, at least with Moses, he was responsible not just for teaching people the way to walk, their lifestyle, but he was to teach them the work that they were to do. Everybody say this after me, responsibility. responsibility. And um, I found, you know, and again, like I said, I'm just as human as anybody else. I, I love messages about what I can receive from God, the, the privileges, the blessings and all that. But, but spiritual leadership has just as much responsibility to teach us about the work we are to do as the, the way that we are to walk. And somebody, you know, uh, preachers have, one person said that a preacher is somebody who comforts the trouble and troubles the comfortable. I don't know what you think of that definition, but I, I think it's probably a good definition. Now, uh, here's another thing that I came across as I was looking at this overall thing about work and all that. And, you know, how many hours a week do people spend in their secular work, if I can use that term, their everyday work. And um, they did a survey once among many different Christians from many different churches, and, and they asked them a simple question. They said, how much 
does what you hear on Sunday morning have relevance and applicability when you go to work on Monday morning? And what they found out was pretty alarming. Most people said, you know, well, what we learn in church helps us kind of in our spiritual life, you know, how to pray and how to understand the Bible. But they said, really, when we go to work on Monday morning, what we hear on Sunday morning doesn't really have a lot of relevance or application. And I just believe that what we hear from God, what we learn from God, should should not just apply during that time we're in church. I think it should apply to every dimension of our being. I think it should apply how we relate to our spouse, how we relate to our kids, how we relate to our neighbors. I think what we hear in church and what we read in the Bible should really heavily influence our, our nine to five, if that's when we work, our, our existence. I think the principles should be very applicable and transcendent. So why has there been not necessarily in this church, but why has there been in many churches all over a disconnect in people's minds between what they hear on Sunday morning and then their, you know, Monday morning work uh, life? And, and I believe it's because sometimes we just, maybe in our mind, we think everything spiritual is spiritual and everything natural is natural and that they never, you know, connect or they never cross uh, intersect. And, and maybe it's because sometimes when we've taught spiritual things, we think that spiritual things make natural things unnecessary. And, and we have a verse here that I want us to look at. Um, some, many, and, and let me just say this. People who come out on a Saturday morning, Pastor John, they're usually the very dedicated. They're usually... So I'm not talking about those lazy folks that only come on Sunday morning, all right? Don't tell them I said that. But you guys, you guys are, are the cream of the crop. You're the dedicated, the committed. But you know, there's some people, I've seen people in the last several years, especially with the great popularization of teaching on grace. And I love grace. Grace is a great, beautiful, powerful, biblical topic. But I, with, with grace becoming very popular, I've seen many Christians across the country getting a negative view about work and about works. Because they're getting this impression that everything is, you know, it originates with God. God does it. Jesus did it. The Holy Spirit does it. And kind of all we do is accept by faith what God in His grace has done. And you know what? That's true up to a point. That's true when it comes to receiving from God. It's all by grace. But there's more to life and there's more to the Bible's teaching than just receiving from God. There is that responsibility toward God side of the equation. So Ephesians 2.8 is probably the most popular verse in the Bible on the topic of grace. And it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Everybody say gift. How many of you know we don't work for a gift? We don't earn a gift. We don't deserve a gift. A gift is something that is given because of the love of the giver. 
And so by grace, we've been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Our salvation is not of what? It's not of works. How many of us needed to learn that? How many of us grew up? I grew up thinking that if I got into heaven, it's because I was going to earn my way to heaven. I was going to be good enough. I was going to do enough good works. I was going to have attended church enough. I was, I was going to have, you know, said enough prayers and done enough stuff. I really thought that me getting into heaven was based on how good I was. Anybody here grew up thinking that you were going to kind of be good enough to earn your way to heaven? And so we had to learn this, didn't we? That salvation is a gift. It's, it's, it's not something we earn or deserve. It's not of what? It's not of works. It doesn't originate with our human effort. So salvation is a gift. And because it is a gift, it's based on God's grace. It's not based on our works. Then it says, lest anyone should boast. So none of us are going to stand before God, stand before Jesus and say, God, you know, I deserve to be in heaven because I worked so hard for you on this earth. I did so many things. Pastor John's not going to be able to say, God, I get into heaven because I worked so hard preparing all those sermons and leading the church. No, we're all getting into heaven the same way by the grace of God. Because of the fact that the grace of God is summed up in that Jesus died for us on the cross and shed his blood for us. If we think we're going to get into heaven any other way, we're deceived. So our salvation is not of works. Everybody say, not of works. Now, if you stop right there, you can just get the attitude, well, works aren't important. Right? Because they don't get us into heaven. But what would happen if we did this novel thing of reading the very next verse. We would get an, an, a different impression altogether because this is the other side of the equation. It says, for we are His workmanship. So if we are God's workmanship, then we know this, that God is a worker, right? Because we're His workmanship. We're the result of God's work. Now, how many of you know that you're God's workmanship? You already knew that before you even came in here today. But how many of us also know that we are still a work in progress? All right. Um, you know, we understand the concept. He's still working on me. Uh, we are not at the finished product stage. I, I like what one person said. God loves me just the way I am, but he loves me too much to let me stay this way. And somebody once said, I'm not everything I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. But we are God's workmanship, but we are a work in progress. And it says that we were created in Christ Jesus. How many new creations do we have here? We were created in Christ Jesus. What are those next three words? For good works. Isn't that interesting? We are not saved by works. Our salvation is not of works. But we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And, and not just, you know, every... How many of you know there's more good works to be done than you could ever do? So I don't have to try to do everything. But what does the Bible say? We were created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. 
that we should walk in them. In other words, before you were ever born, God knew you. He had a plan for your life. And He really equipped you. He created you with certain gifts and abilities and aptitudes and so on to be able to accomplish certain specific things that He created you for. You were created for a specific purpose. Specific good works that you were created for that God prepared beforehand for you to walk in them. Now, we don't have time to teach in detail about, well, how do you find out exactly what you're supposed to do? We, we find that out as we grow and walk and we're faithful in different areas. Our, our talents will begin to surface and we'll begin to see that, oh, I'm good at this. Other people will recognize that we're gifted in these areas. And it's just good to be, uh, you know, a, a screwdriver is good, but if you try to use it as a chisel, it just doesn't work. And we, we're all different tools, as it were. We all have different functions. But one way we can kind of narrow down what we're created to do is, uh, you know, for example, I know that God did not uh, design me to be an opera singer because I can't sing. I can't match notes. I'm not good at, at singing. So I, I can kind of rule out some things because I just don't have any aptitude in those areas. But, but what we're saying is this. God created us in Christ Jesus for good works. You were born to do something significant and something valuable for God. We are not saved by works, but we were created for good works. Now, there are some works that we reject uh, because we're not called to do every kind of work. Notice we're called to do good works. So, uh, first of all, we reject, as you go through the Bible, you find out we don't, we're not here to do works of the law. We're not called to, you know, mosaic legalism. We're not here to do works of the law. Paul talked about repenting from dead works or religious works. And what about works of the flesh? You know, anger and you know, dissension and strife. Those are works that we're not called to do. And then evil works. Evil works. The Bible talks about all different kinds of works. So when, when you ask Christians, you know, I was teaching a large Bible school once and I asked the students, I said, I'm going to give you one word and I just want you to, you know, make note of is this a positive word or a negative word? And I just, I just said, here's the word, works. And I said, how many of you have a negative impression? And more than half of the people had a negative impression. And you know what? That's okay because the Bible talks about negative works, works of the flesh, works of the law, dead works, evil works. So it's fine to, it's fine to register that word negatively because it does have a negative implication. But the Bible also talks about good works and works of charity, works of love, works of service, uh, works whereby we glorify God and benefit one another. My concern is when people simply have that, oh, works are negative. We're just not into works at all. 
Well, we are into works, but we want to be into the right kind of works, don't we? Now, consider the works that Jesus commended. You know, Jesus was really positive about a lot of works. He talked about the person. He said, if you give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones... How many of you work in children's ministry? Let me see your hand. Jesus said, if you give even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, you will in no way lose your reward. Isn't that awesome? Jesus was high on good works. He talked about those who gave food and drink to the hungry and the thirsty, gave lodging to the stranger, clothed the naked who visited the sick and the imprisoned, of the woman that anointed Jesus' feet with oil, and, uh, and I guess maybe his head as well. He said, you know, she's done a good work. And wherever the gospel is preached, she'll be remembered. He talked, he talked positively about the good Samaritan. Remember? And the good Samaritan saw somebody hurting and reached out to them and poured in the oil and the wine. You know, the best medicine that was available of the day and wrapped their wounds in bandages. Jesus commended good works. And then what about the lady that gave those two coins in the offering? She just, all, she just had these two little pennies and she put them in the offering and Jesus said, man, she gave all that she had. Jesus commended good works. Now, one of the things that has happened over the years and just as church has evolved over centuries and centuries and centuries, there was a time in church history and I think the influence of this has carried into even the modern church a little bit. Uh, in modern, in ancient church history, there was a time when the institutional church basically looked at people, what they did with their lives, and they separated them into religious and secular categories. And if you happen to be a priest, a monk, or a nun, then you worked for God. If you were a farmer or a businessman or a person who made shoes or a baker who baked food, then you were a secular worker. People worked for God or they did not work for God. And what happened is for generations and generations, you had a, a little, small, special religious class who, who had the idea that they were serving God, and then you had the great majority of people over here who felt like you're not serving God. You're just doing secular work. And when the Protestant Reformation came along, some people like Martin Luther and John Calvin and some other folks like that said, wait a minute, we've had this thing all wrong. Everybody can work for God. Everybody can do what they do as unto the Lord. And the guy who farms and, and creates food for people, you know, he's, he can do that for God the same way that a preacher can preach for God. And the guy who makes shoes for people, you know, that's serving humanity. And you can seek to glorify God through just the intrinsic value of what you do. And so they brought this revolutionary idea. It was very revolutionary at the time that no matter what you do in life... Now, 
we're assuming, you know, not a mafia hitman, okay? I mean, if you're just killing people for a living, that's probably not what they were talking about. But if what you do serves humanity and makes humanity better, then you can do that for God just as much as the preacher or the monk or the nun or whatever. I was teaching this in St. Louis a few years ago. And I was talking about how all of us can do, and the Bible says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So you don't have to feel like because you're not a preacher or because you're not a missionary that you're somehow kind of inferior, you know, in God's perspective. You can be a school teacher and have an amazing ministry as a school teacher. You can be a nurse you can be a mechanic, and you're serving people, and you can do it for the glory of God. Um, I was sharing this at a church near St. Louis right before this book came out, and a guy came up to me afterwards, and almost with tears in his eyes, he may have had tears in his eyes, he was very, you know, moved, and he said, you know, Tony said, I can't tell you, he said, I've always felt a little bit bad because I'm not a preacher. He said, I'm not called to be a preacher. He said, but let me tell you what I do. And he went on to describe what he does. He works at a, he works at a Catholic hospital. And, um, and I, he shared his story with me. And my book had just gone to the publisher. And I, I asked him to write out his story. And then I called the publisher and I said, don't go with that book yet. You've got to stick this story in here. So here's this guy's story. His name's Gary. And he says that his job is... Uh, let me find out. Yeah, his job is delivering meals to patients at a, at a hospital. So he, you know, he has those big things on wheels and he pushes and, and, you know, gives the tray to each patient. And here's what Gary says. He says, with each tray, we also give a comment card. And he told me that he'd take all the, the stack of comment cards at home every night and he would write on each one a personal message to the patients just going above and beyond the call of duty. He says, uh, with each comment card, I always write my name on it along with the message, God bless you. I often have an opportunity to pray with the patients, and that is a great joy to me because I know some of them are lonely, afraid, and hurting. If it seems that a person is receptive, I will tell them, you know, I pray for all my patients. Many times they will say, really? That's great. And that's when I'll ask them if they would like me to pray for them. Uh, many people take me up on the offer. Whether they ask for prayer or not, I, all, I never leave the room without telling them, God bless you and have a great day. My job is delivering food trays, but I see myself as the Lord's ambassador, delivering spiritual nourishment and letting patients know that someone cares about them. I am honored to be used of God in this manner, and I take my responsibility very seriously. I typically serve around 40 to 50 patients a day, and for the last few years I passed out 8,000 trays or more. In 2013, I received the Exceptional Employee Award for Patient Care. I always strive to not just do the minimum required, but also to go above and beyond, ensuring that my patients' needs are always met. I love that. And uh, a friend of mine, a pastor in California, this is something he told me and I wrote it down. It's also in the book. He said, uh, he said, over the years, I have taught the people in my church 
that they are all full-time ministers of Jesus Christ. God has called every person that is born of the Spirit of God to be a full-time minister. God just dresses these people up every week and sends them into various workplaces. Some of them put on their painter's outfits and become house painters. Another one may be a nurse and wears scrubs. Another guy works for the fire department, so he dresses up like a fireman. And at the end of the week, they get their paycheck, but during the week, that's their ministry. And during that week, they are to act out the Word of God, and, um, and they are to work harder than anybody else and to be encouraging to the people around them. And then, because the world is looking for a hero, they introduce Jesus to these people uh, that are lost and dying. God is building up His people to become the instruments that He can use to be the distributors of His goodness and of His goods upon the face of the earth. Now, somebody says, you know, in response to that, but yeah, Brother Cook, you don't understand. We have rules. We can't witness at our workplace. You know, if I tried to tell people about Jesus at my workplace, you know, we'd get written up. We'd get fired. They just don't allow that. And, and my response to that is this. There are some companies that have rules against witnessing, but there are no companies that have rules against being a witness. And there is a difference. They may have rules against you, you know, what they would call proselyting or evangelizing. But, but being a witness has to do with our character. Uh, there's, no, there's no workplace that says, you know, you cannot be pleasant at your workplace. There's no workplace that says, you know, you cannot have a positive attitude. Uh, there is no workplace that says you can't uh, work with joy and be a peaceful you know, pleasant, positive person in this. And my position is this. If they have rules against, you know, witnessing on the job, then my statement is then just live in such a way that when you're off the clock, people will want to know what is it that's different about you. Why don't you complain like everybody else? Why aren't you using foul language like everybody else? You know, why... Why are you positive when everybody else is negative? Live in such a way on the clock that they'll want to know um, what it is that's different about you when you're off the clock. I have another pastor friend in Texas, and he teaches his young people. Now, I will just say this. I'm 57, and I know a lot of people my age and older and even many people younger than me complain about the younger generation. They complain that the younger generation doesn't have a great work ethic and some things of that nature. And I'm not here to get into all that. But I'm going to tell you this. My friend, a pastor, he's one year older than me. He spends time with his teenagers and he teaches them how to be. He gives them a simple five-step formula that I'm going to give you. Here's how to be in the top 10% of the American workforce. If you want to be one of the top 10% of workers in America... He tells them five things. Number one, show up. Show up. Number two, show up on time. Number three, show up prepared. Number four, show up and do your best. And number five, show up and do it for Jesus. I like that. 
If you want to be in the top 10% of workers in the American workforce, show up. Show up on time. Show up prepared. Uh, show up and do your best and show up and do it for Jesus. Now, let's, let's do something. Let's look at the next area of our scripture. Why were we created for good works? I believe it's important to, for us to understand what God wants from us in terms of our work in life. I think we need to go back and look at the very beginning. And, and we need to not look at what is our work, but we need to look at the fact and establish this, that one of the most plain truths of Scripture is that God Himself is a worker. God is a worker. Genesis 2, 2, this is going to be, these blanks are all going to be real easy because these three blanks are all the same word. And on the seventh day, God ended His work, which He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work, which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it He rested from all His work, which He had created and made. Does that sound like a lot of redundancy to you? A lot of repetition? He just said in three phrases, really, what could have just been said in one phrase, but God said it three times that He was resting from His what? From His work. I mean, it sounds like God really... You know, just in case we are just casually reading the Scripture and just skimming over it, we're still going to notice that three times in a row it says that God rested from His work. Aren't you glad that God was and is a worker? Because if God was not a worker, we would not exist. We exist because God worked. We're saved because God worked through Jesus. We are His workmanship. And, and what we learn here is that God's personal ratio of work to rest was six to one. God worked a lot more than he rested. Now, let me just say this, rest is important. And we're not here today to try to turn everybody into workaholics or just work yourself to death or anything like that. But, but we shouldn't be surprised that work comprises a, a, probably a pretty good portion of our life. And so... All through, the, you know, we see in Genesis, God created everything. As a worker, God was very creative and He produced from His work. All through the book of Psalms, it talks about, there's hundreds of scriptures that talk about the work of creation. And then you get into the prophets of the Old Testament and they're talking about how God worked in creating the nation of Israel and guiding them and protecting them and so on. So uh, the working nature of God is all through the Scripture. So not only do we find out that God is a worker, but something else we find out, another lesson from Genesis, is that we are created in the image and in the likeness of God. How many of you know that you're created in the image and likeness of God? I like what one, I think it was a little kid said this, said, you know, I figured out I'm special because God don't make no junk. You are, you're special because God don't make no junk. God is a worker and we were created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, we were designed to be workers. And then we have a statement here, a quote, 
that um, from a gentleman named Kent Hughes. He said, we meet God the Creator as a worker in Genesis 1. The image of God in man means that man is a worker. The way we work will reveal how much we have allowed the image of God to develop in us. The way we work will reveal how much we have allowed the image of God to work in us. Let me share this with you and then we're going to take a break. If you go back through the Bible, and this is why I really want us to grab a hold of this, great Bible characters, many of them were not preachers. The great Bible heroes. Now, I think preachers are pretty cool because, you know, I'm a preacher and I want to think I'm doing something important. But, but here's the truth. I'm not more important than anybody else. We all have a function to play. We all have a responsibility to fulfill. And we all have a God-given destiny that God wants to work through whatever it is we do in life. And, for example, Adam. Adam was a farmer and a security guard. That was his first job. He was a farmer and he was a security guard. Abraham. Abraham is the foundational person of the Old Covenant, you know, which gave birth to Jesus and the New Covenant. Abraham was a tribal leader, a trader, a herdsman. He actually, to use it in modern terminology, Abraham was a CEO. He had his own company. And he actually had more than a thousand employees. Abraham was a CEO. Today, he'd have a trucking company. Because that's what he did. He traded and had camels and all this stuff. And they, he was a trader. Joseph was a slave, a prisoner, a prison warden's assistant, and later worked for the government. Daniel was a government official in two different empires. Lydia, the first convert on the soil of Europe. Lydia was a businesswoman. Paul spent considerable time in secular work. And I put the word secular work in quotation marks because I don't even like the term secular because it get, I, we, we use it as a label to define. But it gives people the idea sometimes that what they're doing just is unspiritual. But like I said, everything we do, we can do for the glory of God. Uh, Paul spent considerable time in secular work as a leather worker and as a tent maker, he made leather tents. And even Jesus spent six times longer as a carpenter than he did as a preacher. Did you ever stop to think about that? And I've read that Jesus, see, back in that day, parents, dads would train their sons in their, their vocation. So if your dad was a cobbler, he made shoes, you were probably going to make shoes. If your dad was a farmer, you were probably going to be a farmer. Jesus' dad was a carpenter. Jesus ended up being a carpenter. And at the age of 12, uh, back then, Jewish boys would start working alongside their dad in their vocation. And we know that Jesus worked as a carpenter from the age of 12 until he began preaching at the age of 30. That's 18 years. Jesus was a carpenter six times longer. He preached for three 
maybe three and a half. But Jesus was a carpenter for six times longer. I, I read about this in commentaries and different commentators said, you know, Jesus really by spending time being a carpenter, making things with his hands, he dignified all manner of work, gave dignity to it. And here's what I believe. I believe Jesus made every chair that he made, every table that he made, every house that he framed. I believe he did that for the glory of God, the same as every sermon that he ever preached.